This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. Once again, folks, it is Oscar time and hot on the heels of the notoriously hosted Golden Globes by Ricky Gervais and the SAG Awards. The Oscar Awards show soon arrives. I feel that the awards programs have changed over the past decade. Once filled with glitz and glamour, these shows have now become pedestals for political preaching and dubious jokes. But at the heart of it all, I feel there is a discomfort in the awards programs of late. And it's not just about Tom Hanks looking uncomfortable while Ricky Gervais wiped the floor with the double standards that the Hollywood crowd can sometimes live in. In my mind, it's more about where have we come with these awards and what do they really represent now? Well, today I have with me film and literary critic Joe Myers to discuss the state of the Oscars, film, and the ever-changing world of Hollywood right now. Joe is an esteemed writer and columnist and director of programming for the Focus on French Cinema. My first interview with him last year was highly enjoyable, and I take pride in welcoming him back to Center Stage today. Good morning, Joe. It's lovely to have you again. Well, thanks for inviting me, Pamela. It's always a pleasure. This is a fun show. I, it is a fun show, isn't it? I'm a little baritonal today, but you you will be properly, and I'll enjoy that. Yes, I think we're all getting over something. If we had done this a week ago, you wouldn't have heard me. That's right. We would have both been croaking, mm-hmm. but there you are. But we're just aptly timed for the Oscars now, aren't yes. we? Yes. It's yes. coming up. You know, Joe, one thing I love about talking about with you is that you and I come from the same era. Mm-hmm. We have the same appreciation of Hollywood in a golden age. And not that there's anything wrong with what's going on today, but we have just seen distinct changes in the last decade. Well, really, a couple of decades, haven't we? What's really changed is the glut of other awards shows that get telecast and also the rise of Twitter on which everybody comments on each stage of the Oscar race. When I was a kid, you know, and then a teen and a 20-something in the 60s and 70s, the Oscars was really the only awards show on television. Mm, right. So it was special. You looked forward to it. And as somebody pointed out to me yesterday, in those days, you didn't have entertainment tonight. You know, this is pre-cable. So movie stars weren't popping up on your television everywhere you turned. So it was one night a year when you would gather in front of the television with your family and get a chance to see Gregory Peck and Julie Andrews and these people who you weren't seeing every day on on media you know that's, so that's so true, it yeah. that's why it was up there in the ratings with the super bowl and every other major thing because it was truly special it's lost a lot of that specialness because now they televise the golden globes the sag awards the people's choice people mm. are discussing it endlessly and one of the things that's unfortunate is they're grows up a consensus around certain performances and films so that you see the same people making acceptance speeches over and over and over. Right. So by the time right. the Oscars come around, it's sort of like you feel like you've seen it already. Yeah, we're a little weary. A little weary. And I'm, you know, I'm a lifelong movie buff. I've always enjoyed the Oscars. But it, there's something draining about the campaigning now. It's it's almost like the political primaries where these actors are out there working in their communities and on the media from, you know, November through the awards. And you just see them maybe too much. I mean, if you go on your Internet right now to YouTube, 
there are promotional interviews by Hollywood Reporter and Variety where you see all of these actors and directors campaigning for the award, you know, and it's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a little bit tacky. In the old days, mm-hmm. right. the campaign, there was a lot of campaigning, but it was private campaigning in Hollywood, you know, at various gatherings, various screenings. We didn't have to be dragged into it. Nowadays, it's like that old saw, they said everybody has two businesses, their own and show business. Right. And you really feel that nowadays in the lead up to the Oscars. That's interesting. Really interesting. So you feel, you know, they're campaigning for their own films and their own work. But what about the political campaigning? You know, I'm almost dreading in a way when someone gets up and we just know with certain individuals, you know, that it's going to be a comment on society or the political situation, etc., yeah, well, the Golden Globes, I'm a big fan of Michelle Williams, but when she won for Fosse Verdon, mm-hmm. she didn't thank Gwen Verdon for inspiring the performance. She went into a thing about a woman's right to choose, you know, which is fine, but I, it seemed like the wrong place to be doing this exactly. in a show business banquet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And speaking of the Golden Globes, so uh, Ricky Gervais. He really made some headlines this time around. Now, he's been up there five times. Yes. And everybody loves to hate him. Yes. they keep bringing him back. And this time, it was extraordinary. I really felt that um, he really took uh, uh, targeting. He was targeting the Americans in our way of life. Now... His 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 uh, fans come out in his defense all the time. Of course, and he will not apologize for any jokes that he makes. And I have to be honest, I'm finding myself laughing my head off all the time because he seems to nail the he's center of man. the issue. So he's a social commentator in England. He's not going to hold back here. Yeah. Um, we keep him coming back, but looking out in the audience, watching Tom Hanks's face, watching some of the other actors, it was like. Oh, my God, they look so uncomfortable. They could not deal with the words. Well, he illustrates why a lot of comedians don't want to do this anymore because they face as much of a backlash as they face support, you know. And the Oscars this year, once again, are not going to have a host. I noticed last night on the SAG Awards there was no host. And I think... Unlike the days of Bob Hope, who I grew up on doing the Oscars, and then in the 70s, Johnny Carson, there was an amiable, you know, humor displayed that isn't maybe as popular now. And, And I mean, I have mixed feelings about Ricky Gervais. What he said was very true. But if I really felt that the the awards were becoming so political and so boring, I wouldn't host them. You know what I mean? It's, exactly. It's, it, it's sort of you're contradicting yourself on television by doing this. So it's it's a weird area we're in now with comedy. Yeah, it's kind of a juxtaposition. I got the impression, too, that he felt it was tired. Like yes. he kept saying, this is the last time I'm ever going to do this, so I'm going for broke. And he almost had to top himself all the time. Yes. You know? And then when the head of the uh, foreign press got up and said, you say this is going to be your last time, so can you please sign a document and, and get off? <laughs> yes. you know? I, I loved that. Good Lord. Um, talking about the snubs, all we've heard about are who's been snubbed. Is this a fair assessment, really, Joe? I get annoyed with this idea of snubs, which is sort of a recent development that I blame a lot on social media, where everybody the minute nominations are announced jumps on there to complain about what they like that didn't get nominated. Mm -hmm. And 
the academy goes back and forth from year to year in terms of recognizing more liberal films, more mainstream films. So I don't think you can see them as one monolithic entity that sits there saying, we're not going to nominate Greta Gerwig for Best Director. They nominated her two years ago for her first film, you know? So it's... I just think it's kind of foolish, and you never heard about it in the old days because, for one thing, people realize awards can only recognize a certain number of movies. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. a democratic process like voting for president or whatever. And I'm sure that a lot of the actors who people think were snubbed came in just under the top five. Mm -hmm. Of course. And, you know, they've, they've bent over backwards to liberalize the membership of the academy you know because of the complaints in years past so there's a larger contingent of people of color there are more foreign filmmakers and Mm -hmm. actors so i think you have to expect this with any award you know whether it's the pulitzer prize the oscars the nobel prize there are going to be people who simply don't make the cut and i don't think that should be seen as what the award was designed to do you know to Thank make you. people feel bad I it's agree. designed to recognize people do you think decades ago this was just an undercurrent of conversation then and it wasn't you know of course it wasn't played out in the social media then i think it years past people recognized the fact that the oscars were largely designed to promote the movie industry and that it was largely mainstream fair So there were very notable directors, for instance, like Alfred Hitchcock, Mm -hmm. who never won a competitive Oscar. He Mm -hmm. was finally given an honorary one. The man you and I admire greatly, Stanley Kubrick, never won a competitive Oscar. I mean, a good trivia question is, what did Stanley Kubrick win his one Oscar for? And it's kind of an oddball thing for working on the special effects of 2001. Interesting. You know, so... I, I think people are taking this way too serious now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that does spill over this whole social media where they're hating comedy, for instance, now. Right. And Todd Phillips, I know, famous for the Hangover films and many other comedies who who we love. I mean, The Hangover Absolutely. will be one of my fa- favorite films for Very all time. Funny. Now coming and become, uh, out, coming out with The Joker. Yes. You know, I read that... He actually, his inspiration for that was actually studying the films of Martin Scorsese. Totally. And he was really looking at the Kings of Comedy and the Taxi Driver. Yes. So here we come out with this fabulous dark film. What a flip side for Todd Phillips. You know, I mean, the reaction to Joker really annoyed me because people seem to spend a lot of time saying basically the movie shouldn't have been made and it shouldn't have been released. They found it so volatile in in a political sense, in a sense of gun violence, whatever you want to call it, that they would not let it go. And yet, from my point of view, I thought here was a guy who took the worn-out genre of comic book movies, Mm -hmm. took a a character from Batman, you know, and used that, to me, a very interesting, creative way to make a different kind of statement than we've ever seen in a comic book movie. He also gave a showcase to Joaquin Phoenix, mm-hmm. and I think one of the most remarkable performances of our time. 
I would agree with you there. I think he is such an incredible actor. He's had so many issues, so many ups and downs, but yet everything he does, we're drawn into in totally. such a way, the depth of it, I'm sure, will ultimately destroy the man. You know, there's something so vulnerable about Phoenix, but this performance is incredible. It's an incredible performance. I think if if you hate every other aspect of the film, I don't see how you can deny the quality of what what he did in the central performance of that movie. And in a way, this is really kind of an origination of of the Joker in the yes. Batman films, isn't it? Where he came from. It's a valid, I think, statement of what forces might have caused the Joker to become the Joker. And so desperately sad. So desperately sad. So- and to use and to use sort of seventies and early eighties New York City as the melting pot mm-hmm. for this mm-hmm. the crucible I guess is a better word for creating Excellent. this angry comic book par- characters I, I think it was that. a brilliant stroke and I think Todd Phillips should receive a lot of support for what he did absolutely and you know he really came out saying he doesn't want to do comedy anymore because he finds that the haters on social media make it hard to make a comedy that works without being offensive in a politically correct world. Joe, what what are we going to do without, you know, mainstream comedy? I mean, you talk about, you know, comedy before in the shows, there's an amiable kind of feel about this. Now we're looking for notorious, like with Ricky Gervais. And, yes. and, and he can only get away with that because he's, he's English and he's yes. dealing with satire. So are we looking at a whole raft of films now to come that are politically acceptable because they are black comedies of the most satirical, you know, extreme you're you're asking a really big and important question. I mean, I think comedy is at a crossroads because of the political environment we're in today. There's so much anger and there are so many forums for people to express their anger about what a com- comedian has said. You know, I, I, I told you before the show that I got into a bit of a flap with a friend of mine on social media about the Dave Chappelle special that was on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It was very cutting edge, very daring, a little nasty. But as I said to my friend, that was what Lenny Bruce based his career on. Right. You know, there was a time where right. we admired George Carlin, you know, these people that really pushed the envelope. That's right. Now I think if you push the envelope, you get into a lot of hot water. This is so sad. It's and, terribly and sad. Com- this is our, our right to free speech. Plus, comedy, great comedy, is so close to pathos, as you and I know. I mean, what would it, it's Shakespeare all the way. Right? Totally. But how can we keep finding fault with everything? It's interesting, like at Christmas, we did a show about uh, music in Mm. Christmas movies, and we talked about Baby, It's Cold Outside. Yes, of course. And we played the original version, because I'm sorry, it was written that way. Of course. It was written at a time when it was perfectly acceptable, and it was on the edge. You know, we do evolve, (laughs) but I think we can still treasure these things. I think, too, people are very nervous about various expressions of sexuality in pop culture and in music, whereas I grew up and really came of age in the 70s where people were excited to see movies like Last Tango in Paris and other movies that were starting to deal with sexuality in new mm-hmm. ways and mm-hmm. in, in button-pushing ways. I think now that kind of a film 
is almost inconceivable. And, it, and you know, if you recall, it was released by a major American studio, United right. Artists. That was right. a mainstream movie. Now maybe it might be produced independently and shown, you know, in a handful of art houses in the United States. But you would never see a movie like that having a national run. So what are we looking at, Joe Myers, for the future in film, do you think? What is your your forecast? What are our dynamics that are going to be trending? I think you're going to see a continuation of this fragmentation where when, in my youth, a movie like Lawrence of Arabia was an experience shared by a huge populace, I think now we're all watching individual pieces of work at home or in art theaters you know, like there was a really daring and I thought kind of wonderful horror film last summer called Midsummer, which again outraged a lot of people because of its sexual content. So I think, I don't think you're going to see movies as something bringing the population together anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. there are very few big hits. That, mm. like Bonnie and Clyde mm-hmm. or Chinatown or Network that made people think, you know, that brought them together to discuss movies because those movies were all Hollywood studio productions, you know, that played everywhere. That's right. You don't, I mean, one of the reasons why I think people were so crazy about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was it was a Sony release in the middle of the summer with two major stars that everybody went to see. And again, fought about it right. you know but that's right. re- I, th- I think that's really the only movie this year that you could say had a wide release that stirred people up it's it's true and i gotta admit it is nice to see brad pitt and leo up there on stage together last night in the sag awards amazing to see them together i mean what a duo what a duo they're i think true movie stars in the classic tradition. They've already had long careers. They're both actors and stars. And I think Tarantino bringing them together in Once Upon a Time was a brilliant stroke. It was like a throwback to the the period the movie set in, the late 60s. Right, right. And there's a melancholy to this film. Totally. It is a homage to to Hollywood, isn't it? Totally. Do you think that Quentin Tarantino now is really turning out to be a storyteller? Very much so. I, I, and I, you know, this Once Upon a Time is a movie he's been working on and off for many years, as he said, in between other films. Mm-hmm. And I think in a way it's a culmination of his storytelling abilities, his willingness to take reality and bend it, as he does at the end of that film. Mm-hmm. I won't get into that here. <laughs> he he uh, loves Hollywood. He presents that love on the screen, but he also presents his own view of storytelling. You know, that movie would not have been made in 1969. Right. Because exactly. of the way he tells it. Exactly. I, I think I think he's a genius. I do too. I always has been dying to get out, finding his way. Um, he said this may be his last film. I think actually the next film, he calls, this is called his ninth film, mm-hmm. and, and he has said he's only going to make one more and hasn't said yet what that will be. I I I think I, I believe he's only around fifty. So for him to say that, I think is a little nutty. But you know, a little it's, dramatic. It's his career. It's you know, <laughs> he could do what he wants. And of course, other people have said the way he'll get around that is he'll do Netflix projects. Of course, you know what I mean. Other projects that aren't feature <clears throat> films. I think he's a way too talented guy to just stop. Oh you know, yeah. To do what? 
Oh, my God. He is he is a force of nature. I'm here on WGCH talking with Joe Myers, film and literary critic. And we're really speaking about the Oscars, the come up of the Oscars and the award shows. You know, Joe, I want to talk to you about Parasite, yes. this film Parasite. It's a rather extraordinary movie about greed and class distinction. In fact, it kind of brings back a memory of Six Degrees of Separation. Yes. Um, the overwhelming popularity of this film has shocked everybody. It has. You know, it, it, it clearly has struck a chord with its portrait of the 99% versus the 1%, you know, cultural differences, class differences. And what's, what's remarkable to me about it, it again demonstrates that if you make a film in one culture that is true and detailed, that it becomes a universal story. You know, I mean, that's one of the great things about movies. They travel beyond borders because right. we can read subtitles. This movie has made $100 million in the United States. It's won a ton of awards. Last night it won the Ensemble Award at SAG, which no foreign language film has ever done. That's correct. And I mean, I've never been much for prognostication, but I think the universal support for this film might lead it to be the top winner at the Oscars. I think Bong Joon-ho, the Korean director, mm -hmm. who's made a lot of films that people like, like Snowpiercer, which Snowpiercer, had, which had Tilda Swinton. You know, he, he isn't an esthete who only does, you know, obscure art mm -hmm. films. Mm -hmm. I think he may finally be recognized with the directing Oscar and the picture, because I think in some way maybe Irishmen and Once Upon a Time will kind of split the vote you know, okay. and I think also people will see this is sending a signal to the to the world film community that the you know the academy is finally recognizing films from other countries. It's incredible, Parasite being South Korean, of course. Yes. Um, so I loved it when Ricky Gervais was saying we were going to see a, a small take of The Irishman. It was only 88 minutes, a small take, because the film is well over three hours. Three and a half. When, when I was looking out into the crowd in, in the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards and looking at the entire table of our golden oldies right now, yeah. I was really hit with a wave of sadness. I mean, looking at De Niro and Scorsese and Harvey Keitel, these these grand men of the cinema. But I feel, in a way, that their day is almost over, and and maybe I'm I'm just pushing the envelope because you know we're we're so overwhelmed, as you said, with social media and all. But here are these men that have changed the film world forever. Totally, totally. And do you do you think that the Oscars will pass them by this year? I do. I just, I, I think in the case of De Niro and Pacino and Scorsese, they've all won Oscars. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think this movie will do it for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, as much as I like the movie, mm -hmm. there's been a division over the movie. People say it's too long. People aren't as caught up in the story as they were in Goodfellas or, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Raging Bull. But as far as the passing, you know, of the torch, I mean, they're reaching that age that Hollywood stars have traditionally backed away. away. You know, people forget yeah. that Doris Day retired before she was 50. You know, Gene Arthur walked away fi at 50. You know, and a lot of actors like Cary Grant, he made his last picture in the mid-60s and basically said, that's it. You know, exactly. I, I, I don't, you know, you have a choice, I think, in Hollywood. You can back away and rest on your laurels, maybe mm -hmm. write a memoir, or 
subject yourself to infer- the inferior material you're going to get as mm-hmm. an older person in Hollywood. You know what I mean? They're just people in their 70s aren't represented very frequently in in movies you know and also mm-hmm. i mean there's been so much publicity about the fact that they had to use special cgi technology to make those three stars of the irishman look younger in mm-hmm. the earlier scenes so mm-hmm. they're already acknowledging you know that, that they're <laughs> they're too old to play young people they've come to a certain time yeah so i i think that's a natural i mean it's sad you know i always hate to see favorite stars back away but I think it's kind of inevitable. And if the Irishman is their last picture of that kind, they I think they've finished up at the top of I would their think game. so, too. Yeah. I would think so. And what a group. What, what a an group. ensemble. What an ensemble. So we were talking before about some of the snubs as being so obvious, but no one is mentioning the fact that, actually, we have a female film composer up for best yes. score in Hildur Gudnatot. Dottur, the Icelandic woman who has scored for Sicario and Chernobyl, for which she has received a Grammy nomination and Emmy. Now, she's been around for a while. Nobody's really looking at her, and her music is extraordinary in The Joker. I, one of the things that annoyed me about the torrent of criticism of The Joker is people didn't stop and take the time to acknowledge the, the quality work mm-hmm. on view in that movie. And her score was one of those things. I mean, so many of those big-budget cartoon movies have scores that are just ladled on, you know, mm-hmm. cliche mm-hmm. music. She tried to do something as different as what Todd Phillips was doing visually. You right. know? And, and she managed. And she managed. I mean, she's a very exciting new force in movies, I think. Classical musician comes from music royalty in her family, and she's been out there for a while. So it's it's an exciting time. Joe, I wish we had more time, and we always run out, of course, because we need about three hours, you and I. <laughs> but I just want to say, do you have some forecast? Do you, what's going to take this film, you think, just quickly? I think this year is one year where the top awards are pretty predictable. Let's do actors first. I think mm-hmm. everybody agrees that Joaquin is going to win for, fa- for, yeah, for, for Joker. Joker. No question. Renee Zellweger is going to win for Judy. For Judy. Laura Dern will win for Marriage Story in the Supporting Actress category, and Brad Pitt will win for Once Upon a Time Best Male Supporting Actor. As far as the top two go, if you made me place my bet today, I would go with Parasite and Bong Joon-ho. Isn't this exciting? It's very exciting. Well, we're seeing a whole new turn. Joe Myers, listen, thank you so much. I, I, we have to inspire all of you folks to grab that popcorn, find your company, comfy seat in a movie house, and free yourself from multitasking on your phone. This is cinema we are talking about. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage. <laughs> 